So let's uh, go ahead and pray, and we'll get started with our parable here this evening. Lord above, we thank you that uh, you are a God that hears us, that uh, we are not just merely talking to an entity that does not hear uh, and does not know that we are calling upon him, but uh, with what we see here this evening, that uh, we can be moved by our knowledge of who you are and uh, what you uh, know about us and what you know about what's good for us. And so, Lord, we pray as we look at uh, this parable on prayer that uh, we would avail ourselves of an opportunity that you've given to us. So, Lord, help us to learn, and this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Can you hear anything now? Can you hear me now? There you go. All right. We're good. Yeah. Luke chapter 11. Uh, Luke chapter 11. Thank Brian for being here last week, and he got the one that I kind of wanted because it was the one of the easier ones. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, it is a good reminder, and it's familiar to many of us, but uh, our neighbor is whoever the Lord puts in our path. Uh, we... we don't get to choose who our neighbors are. You know, it's whoever we cross paths with and that the Lord uh, brings uh, to us that we have a responsibility to as the young man was trying to narrow down who his neighbor was when he was told that he was supposed to love his neighbor as himself and he was trying to narrow it down and really what the Lord did was broaden it out to further than anybody really explained it. Uh, the Pharisees wouldn't have explained it this way and the rabbis wouldn't have, but uh, the Lord says your neighbor is anyone you cross paths with and you, doesn't matter who they are, what nationality. So good parable, but uh, what we have here is a <clears throat> another parable, not sure how long afterwards because you have a, just a little bit of gap. Uh, you have a story of Jesus going to Judea, or Judea, most of his ministry recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are in Galilee, but uh, here he is in Jude, Judea, near Jerusalem, and he is um, there with Mary and Martha, and then right after this, here you have this section on prayer. I want us to just uh, start by reading it. It will be familiar to you. Uh, I don't think there's going to be anything shocking in the, the details of reading this, but uh, let's go ahead and do that. Uh, verse 1, chapter 11, it came to pass that as he was uh, praying, this is speaking of Jesus, in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil." What you note here is that, first of all, the disciples knew Jesus was one who prayed. Uh, Luke, just think about uh, the, the different books uh, or the Gospels have different themes emphasizing the life of Christ. When you come to Luke, it's emphasizing what about Jesus? That he is, he is a, a human, a man. Yeah, he's a, a human. And uh, when you have this, you have a number of scenes that Luke gives that aren't in any of the other Gospels that show the humanity of Jesus. He shows the, the, the deity of Jesus, but he emphasizes this. And one of the things he emphasizes is Jesus praying. 
at least seven occasions, that's one of your blanks there, uh, at least seven occasions in Luke, they have Jesus praying. Okay, that's more than any of the other Gospels and that. And so when these disciples come in this unique story just to Luke, uh, and they ask Jesus to teach us to pray, Luke's emphasizing this throughout, that Jesus is communicating with his Father in heaven. And so they come to Jesus, and as good disciples, they are asking for training. Remember what disciples are. Disciples are just generically follower learners, but these are individuals who would give part of their life away, uh, sometimes just for a couple of months uh, when it came to Jesus and these 12, uh, he said, full-time you're going to follow me. But what they were supposed to do is that they were supposed to not only be taught, you know, classroom teaching, chalkboard, whatever, whiteboard, uh, and that kind of teaching that the Lord would give them, they went around and looked at what Jesus was doing. Everything he did. Observe it, because when they were done with their time with Jesus, they would look like Jesus, they would act like Jesus, they would talk like him, they would even dress like him. Okay, John's disciples were taught how to pray, but they were following John for a certain period of time, and he was teaching them, but they were also just observing him wherever he went, what he was doing, how he was interacting, and they were eventually going to be, we might say this, little John the Baptists. The... <clears throat> The case with John, and you think about this, that there were some of these apostles that are in this group that we read in John chapter 1 were part of the followers of John when he said, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world, and they start following him. We find out you got people like Peter and Andrew and others that are followers, disciples of John. They had received some teaching from John. Okay, John probably was so frustrated with the Pharisees, you go, why? Because their prayers were so formal. Well, I don't want to say formal. They were not prayers, they were performances. Because you have stories that we'll look at one eventually with a parable, where you have a, a Pharisee who goes to the street corner, basically sounds a horn in front of him, and starts praying out loud for everyone to hear on the street corner. Um, and the Lord has to warn in the Sermon on the Mount that when you pray, go into your closet, okay? Pray like that. I'm, I'm guessing John had told his disciples, listen, prayer is not a public performance. But the details of this, the disciples are, are interested in on how to pray. And what the Lord gives them, and you see in the second sentence there, or the second paragraph is this, that Jesus gave his disciples a pattern of prayer, not a prayer, Okay, too many people, and you have it both in Matthew and here in Luke, this thing that people oftentimes call the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. It's a prayer for them. But what you have there is that the Lord's not saying, okay, this is how you pray, and you may have been in circumstances when a church ceremony or circumstances where you have a, a religious environment, and they say, okay, let's quote the Lord's Prayer, and they get up, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And they, they, they go through this. Now, you can pray this and go, okay, I know I'm within the Lord's parameters, what he wants in praying this, but Jesus was not saying, I want you to like the other people who are around you that have wrote prayers that they pray over and over again. What I'm giving you is a pattern. 
It's like he's saying, okay, point one, you know, Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he would, you know, if he was in a teaching classroom, he'd go, let's give you examples of what this is like. So he's not giving a prayer, he's giving a pattern for prayer. And when you see this explanation, there are three things, there are three elements that are found in this initial teaching about prayer. Number one, prayer is focused on the Father and seeing his glory. Do you realize prayer's not all about you? Okay, that, we, we get that misconception when I'm coming to God, the prayer's all about me. And when you come to prayer, you're recognizing you're coming before the Father, which art in heaven. You go, what does that mean? You understand that he's above all the circumstances of life and time that we have, that he is outside of this, that he rules and that our desire ought to be this, hallowed be thy name. Okay, that, you know, we read that term and, you know, when was the last time you used, you know, hallowed, you know. Um, we would say this, may your name be set apart or may it be, you know, sanctified or may it be raised up. What, what you want when you come to the Father is that people see him. You know, it doesn't matter that you get your bills paid, uh, and it doesn't matter a number of things um, really that much because those are temporary things. What is your hope? That people see God and get the eternal matter settled. That these prayer requests that I'm making are that God can be glorified and people go, I want a God like that. And so you have this, and then you have just the, the idea, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I mean, the desire here, we want your kingdom to come. You look at our world today, and aren't you saying it would be wonderful for the Lord to be ruling right now? And every time I turn around, you turn on the news, and you're just like, really? Who, who came up with this idea? Who thought this was good? And you just kind of do this, and you just kind of go, Lord, come quickly, fix things. But while this is going on, what we're desiring is this, that God's will be done as it is in heaven. There's no conflict going on in heaven. What God declares is going to happen in heaven. It's down here on earth that mankind is doing all sorts of things that are not in line with the will of God. Now, the, the one thing that we have to at least admit in this, realize this, that sometimes the will of God is not necessarily our will from a human perspective. We don't, we don't, we don't feel like this. Uh, this morning we were talking through this. An example, do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus goes and prays and he says this, take this cup from me. You get a little bit of, okay, wait, you're saying this is God. He knows what's going to happen and everything. But you see a little bit of the humanity of Christ where he's just saying, I, I know what I'm about to go through. Could you take this cup from me? But he follows it with this, not my will, but thine be done. Now, we'll, we'll talk about the implications of that idea uh, at the end when we apply the, the, the parable, but that is something that we ought to be praying, that I ought to be in line with what your will is. So I may come asking this request. It may not be the right request. So Lord, work out your will. Do what you need to do. That's the first thing, that the Father is really the focus of your prayers, that he is seen and that he's magnified. 
But then he goes down and says, okay, it's okay, number two, to pray for physical or material needs. Okay, now you just put this in material needs. It's okay to do this. Okay, God's not in heaven going, really, you're going to ask us about getting a pair of socks? <laughs> you know, are, are you, you, you're going to ask me uh, to help you take care of that gas bill, really? I mean, that's so petty. No, what you have here is that God expects us to have needs daily. Day by the way it's put here, the Lord, when he's teaching, realize what we have in Matthew 7 or 6 and 7 is different than what we have here. This is another occasion of Jesus teaching. So in this case, he says, day by day, our daily bread. Okay, day in and day out, give us what we need for each day. The physical needs that we have throughout the day whether it be money or whether it be food or, or raiment or housing or the things that are just necessities of life, take care of those things. So it's okay to pray for those things. Sometimes we feel guilty. Well, sometimes we do it too much, but on other occasions we're like, really, should I be praying for this? Is this too petty to bring to God? The answer is no. But on the other side, what you have is that you have the prayer can be made for spiritual help. Okay, there are things here. Uh, forgive me as I forgive others. Well, there's an element there going, it's not easy to forgive others. So do I need spiritual help in forgiving others to be like my heavenly father, that I would glorify my heavenly father uh, in my life, that I would have the graciousness to forgive? The answer is yeah. Um, or how about this, that he would deliver us from temptation or the, the way that he puts it... Um, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Understand that word evil is talking about a person, the evil one. Realize there's one out there that would seek to destroy us day in and day out. He never sleeps or slumbers either. And he's out to destroy us. Do we need protection on a daily basis and spiritual help? We got one who is making plans. He's got methods. He's described as having wiles and strategies uh, to try and destroy us. Um, Do we need to ask for spiritual help? The answer is absolutely, because his, his power is great. So we need to beware of that. So these are the three elements that he just kind of goes, here's what you ought to have in your prayer. Just kind of defining what the prayer ought to be like, that God is seen uh, as a result of your prayers, that's your desire uh, that he is seen. You can pray for your physical needs. You can pray for your spiritual needs. But then he kind of shifts and he goes, okay, I'm going to tell you a parable because I just don't want to even give you um, the, you know, say these prayers. He goes, I want you to have a certain kind of attitude about prayer. And so here he has this parable, and it's one that's not, it's unusual in our culture, but we do have some elements that are the same. Verse 5, Jesus said unto them, which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in, in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, uh, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Here you have the story of an individual who had an unexpected guest come at a very inconvenient time. 
Uh, the problem for the host was that he could not meet the needs of his guest who was wearied with, here's the blank, travel. Okay, do you realize that we're looking at a time about 2,000 years ago and there was no cell phones? And there were no phones, no radios? So oftentimes, if you had guests coming from a long distance, they'd say, uh, we'll be there in a fortnight. Yeah, we'll be there in about two weeks. We'll be there in about a month. Okay, great. Uh, and what would happen is that individuals would travel, and it wasn't that they were able to communicate ahead that they were about to arrive because they're traveling at the same pace as the people who would, you would give the message to typically to tell people you're arriving. And Many times people didn't travel in the heat of the day. What they oftentimes did is waited for the cool of the evening to do their travel. So they're traveling at night, but they don't really want to stop in different locations. There weren't hotels in different locations, which is kind of unique because last week we looked at the parable where you actually have the Good Samaritan take an individual to a hotel. That, that's not normal in this culture. You would stay in people's houses. And in this case, you have somebody who is going, okay, we got to make it to those people. And they, they go, we're not going to stop here. You know, it's going to take us another hour or two, but I don't want to stop anywhere else. And they show up at midnight. I mean, we've, we've had these occasions in travel, okay? You've had these occasions in travel where you're like, okay, we're not stopping anymore and we're just going to keep driving. You know, no one's going to use the restroom and we're not only going to stop for gas because we've got to get there. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how late, but we've got to get there because we're not stopping anywhere else. So you have this. This is what happens. You have somebody that does this and comes and shows up at midnight. But in Oriental culture, what your main responsibility, and what I mean by Oriental culture, I'm not talking about, you know, China and Japan. I'm talking about Middle Eastern culture. Even today, if you have a guest, you go out of your ways to meet whatever needs they have when they show up. You're bound by a, a code of hospitality in that culture. You just do it. it, it to, the, it, to the loss even to your own self, you make the guest feel comfortable. And so here this individual has the person show up on their doorstep at midnight and say, we're here, and the question is, did you get anything to eat? No, I haven't eaten in many hours because the marketplaces were closed and we didn't stop because we were trying to get here, so we haven't eaten. And so this, get, this host goes, okay, I need bread. There's no 24-hour Walmarts nearby because the marketplace is only open during the day. There's nothing like that. So it's not like he could go down to the convenience store and get something real quick and come back. There's none of this. So he goes to a person whom he knows will have what he needs and starts knocking on his door. Now, the solution to the host is to, you have this in the second paragraph there under this, the solution of the host is to go to the friend next door. His beating on the door was answered by a friend who was concerned about waking individuals in his home to get the food. Most homes in Palestine had one room. Okay, this is normal. And everybody slept on mats in the floor. See, your, your, your one-room house was the kitchen, the living room, and at night, everything cleared out, you put mats on the floor, and everybody slept on mats. Have you ever tried to walk through a room in the middle of the night with people sleeping on the floor and hope that you don't step on them? And this is what he's suggesting. I'm going to have to get up. I mean, the kids, we, we got the kids settled, okay? They're sleeping already. 
you know, you're knocking on the door. That would be another element. But we're sleeping already, and I don't want to step on any kids. And, and then the other problem is, is if I do try and do this right, I'll set, you know, turn the light on, you know, light the candle, whatever, and I'll, I'll wake them up that way. I'm not about to do this. Everyone's gone to sleep. Go away. And you would think common courtesy would be, oh, okay. But no, this individual keeps knocking on the door. The host continued to knock until he was given the food that he needed. And why was the host answered? Okay, we're, we're given the answer. It was because of his importunity. Now, I am positive. I, I, I can say this, that none of you have ever used this in a sentence in real life. Importunity. Never have. You go, what does importunity mean? Well, you've got the, the space there. It's a word that is a single use in the Greek New Testament. It's not used anywhere else. So we're kind of straining to get what it is in the language outside the Bible, what it means. But it's got this idea to it. It means, and the, the, the blank there is this, shamelessness. A person with no shame. They are, and you have the rest of it, there are a, there's an audacity, a boldness, and with this there is a persistency. Now, you know people, you may not be like this, we had a discussion afterwards about this, but you know people who have no shame in asking. I laugh. Uh, there, there are a number of... Uh, different things I could say right now, but you have the individuals that if the food's not right, that they'll go up and say, this isn't right, and I want a replacement. You know, and I'm the type of person like, oh, you know, okay, it's food. Yeah, all right, you don't want to go bother them, that type of thing. The person's got no shame. They walk up there and go, hey, the fries are cold. I came here, I want warm fries, so give me warm fries. You're like, well, that's kind of, you know, shameless. I mean, you know, they're gracious about it. You usually find that it's ladies that do this and they come up really nicely and say it and whatever and you're like, okay. You know, guys don't get away with this very often um, unless they, you know, they're called gruff and mean. Um, I, I can think of a former music director that <laughs> used to be here and I can remember being at Panera Bread and we're at the counter and he's asking for all sorts of stuff and you're just like, the people at the counter are just looking at him like, what are we supposed to do here? I mean, the, the, the Panera Bread, you know, I, can I have some crusty croutons? Can I, can I have a cup of crusty croutons? That's what he asked for one day. And the poor girl with the was like, what? He goes, cup of crusty croutons. And they didn't know what he was talking about. And he goes, like stuff you put on the salad. Can I have a cup of that? And they're like, mm, okay. They would give it to him. He had no shame in asking. We all know he, he didn't have any shame in asking. He's the type of person that would be like this. I, I, when I th read this story, I do think of Dave, Dave Schleen. Um, but anyhow, if you don't know him, Okay. But uh, there is a shamelessness. What, what, would, what we would be embarrassed to do, this person has no shame. They keep knocking. Now you go, what and why does the Lord tell the story? Well, he does it for a reason, and he gives this explanation, and you have this on the back page, the application, and I have it by contrast, because what he's going to have is one application that is not a contrast, but the end is the contrast. And that's really what he's trying to get at in comparison to this. Just look at verse 9 where you have the explanation of the Lord. He says this, and I say unto you, ask and shall be given unto you. 
Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask for bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask for a fish, will he give, uh, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You go, okay, so what is the Lord teaching us this application of this parable? Number one, you see this. It's the principle of persistence. That you're supposed to be like this guy who's knocking away at the door. In fact, he uses the same terminology. Ask, seek, knock. And it's not just merely that he's saying, okay, you, you, know, you go and knock on the door of God. It is with the language that's here. It's hard to see uh, in our translation, but it really ought to be this way. Verse 9, I say unto you, be asking, be seeking, be knocking. This is something that is, in the blank there, continual activity. You keep doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And, and what you have in this parable is that the believer is to, in some ways, uh, what Paul is going to teach, pray without ceasing. You're praying all the time. But the idea is God is not bothered by you knocking on the door over and over again. In fact, that's what he wants you to do. And he seems to be indicating if you're not knocking, if you're not seeking, and you're not asking, you aren't going to get a response kind of go, so I have to nag at God. That's not what it's saying here. Really what it's doing is that if I'm continuously praying to God, I'm showing that I know he's the one who can answer. He's got the capability to do it, and he needs to be glorified. I'll keep coming to him and praying and going, you're the one who can answer, and keep knocking on the door. You know, the squeaky door, you know, gets fixed. You've heard that. But that, you know, you need to almost go with that in here. You keep knocking, God will eventually answer. So this is the first principle the Lord gives. Be persistent, continue to knock. Be like the guy who's shameless that's knocking on the door. I am not going to be upset with you doing this. Come into my presence repeatedly for the same thing. Keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. The second principle is this. It's the principle of confidence. This is where the contrast comes in. God is not like the person who is saying, don't wake me up, don't wake the children up, I'm not about to do this. God's not like this. This is the contrast point. And we ought to be confident in the fact about what God is like. See, the contrast comes with the friend and the father. The friend is reluctant to give food at midnight. Okay, he's reluctant. I don't want to do this. And then the Lord explains this, that sometimes fathers on earth do not always give good gifts to their children. You know, have, have you gotten your child what they've asked for all the time? I, I gave an illustration this morning, and I, I lost it on some people, but there are going to be some people that get it here this evening. 
okay? I know this already because we've had this conversation about this character. I can remember being a, a, a kid in the 1980s and the big thing back then was a big fat orange cat cartoon character by the name of Garfield. And I can remember a, a girl uh, in my class that asked for a stuffed Garfield. She wanted a stuffed Garfield for, I think it was uh, her birthday or something like that. And so she told her grandparents this is what she wanted. And the grandparents came back and they, they said this, well, we're sorry, we could not find anything with Garfield on it. Uh, we were looking for a goose and we couldn't find it. Okay, somebody know, you know people know who this is. Because back in the 60s and 70s, there was Garfield Goose, this goose with a big long beak that looked like a cone that split and it's, you know, it sits here and you had Fraser Thomas and it was a morning show uh, for kids and whatever and they would have this daily and on and on and grandma couldn't find Garfield Goose. Okay, they, she missed the fact that the daughter or granddaughter was not wanting Garfield Goose, she was wanting Garfield the cat. You know, we can do this as parents. We sometimes don't understand what our kids are asking for. We miss on that. Um, so yeah, as it says, we're here, we're evil. Okay, we fail. We're failures. We come up short at times. Uh, earthly fathers do that. Parents do this. However, sometimes parents, or you have this, this blank, sometimes fathers of the earth do not always give good gifts to their children. Sometimes those fathers try to protect their children by not giving them things to harm them. Now this is where you start getting to the point where, okay, earthly fathers, are you going to harm your kids by what you give them? If they ask for a piece of bread, or actually just bread, Think about what bread sometimes looks like. It looks like a stone. You know, it's shaped the same way, whatever. Your child asks for bread, you're not going to give them stone that, you, you know, that they chew on this to break the teeth, and then now you've got a dentist bill, besides the fact that they're in pain. Uh-oh. Uh, but, or, or how about this? Uh, they want a fish, and you give them a snake. Really? You're going to have them chewing on the hand of the child. And back in that culture, most of the snakes they had were poisonous. You really going to do that? No. Uh, or are you going to go, the child goes, can I have an egg? Here, have this. You know, scorpion. No, you're, you're not going to do that. You go, why? Because the father is protecting the child from things that would do it harm. And so what the point is of that question, the Heavenly Father always gives good gifts. It may not be what is asked for, but it will always be better. It will always be better. Now, this goes back to the other thing I said we're going to come to. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, take this cup from me. Not my will, but thy will be done. What if the Heavenly Father had said, sure. What would have happened? The greater good would not have happened. 
Now, we would think it from our perspective. We wouldn't be saved if he hadn't died on the cross. Okay, that is true. But realize this, for Jesus, if he had had the cup taken away from him, he would not be ruler. He would not be Lord of Lord, King of Kings, because he would not have had victory over death and risen from the dead and have that ability to be exalted above every creature in the universe and have a name that's above every name that wouldn't have happened so you say well god wasn't good he made him go to the cross okay but what's the result of that something far better god didn't give him what he asked for but gave him something greater in answering the request it's better in this case what is emphasized about just showing these people that god's a good god he says this what god does is that he gives the holy spirit the father is good is displayed in the fact that he gives the holy spirit the holy spirit is the best gift a believer can receive you go really okay think about this jesus was here he goes away what would be the the best thing for you to have Jesus is the Son of God, guess what? You get the Holy Spirit who is God. And he's not just merely outside of you, now he's going to reside inside of you. And John chapter 14, 15, and 16, and 17 give us all the things that the Holy Spirit's going to do for these disciples. They're upset. Lord, don't go away. Please don't go away. I mean, this is what they're asking him. You're troubling us by saying this. And the Lord goes, I have to go away. And they're going, no, don't do it. He doesn't answer their request. Because he's going to what? Give them something better. The Holy Spirit. Uh, Realize as we think here with the book of Luke, um, this story is a a continued story because you start off in Luke and you have the whole story uh, of uh, Jesus finally dying and then ascending up to heaven and you have a sequel to it called the book of Acts. It's a continuation of this letter that Luke is writing to Theophilus. He's just got part two, and he sends it to him. And you go, what happens at the beginning of that story? Okay, believers are suddenly given the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, they're supposed to wait and wait for the promise and pray for the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Did God give the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. You see the rest of the book of Acts, what the Holy Spirit's doing through these individuals and impacting lives and and changing lives. That last paragraph, in Jesus' time, the believer had not yet received the Spirit, but at Pentecost, they were given the Spirit. If the believer had the Holy Spirit, they would know that the Father would give the, excuse me, would give good things in answer to prayer. If you've got the Holy Spirit, you already got the best gift. So if you're wondering if God gives good things, you already have the Holy Spirit there. So when you come to pray to him, you're not wondering, I wonder if he's a good God. No, you already have the Holy Spirit. Now, the one note I have there is Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11. Realize there when the Lord's teaching this, ask, seek, knock, and he goes through this whole discussion there. He does say this, will not your heavenly Father give you good things? He doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit in that passage, uh, but here he does, and so that's the one reference difference between the two. But the emphasis is, if, if you really want a good gift, you get God. It, what's better than God? You have the Holy Spirit. So with this, the Lord is just simply saying, be confident of this fact, that when you come to God, he's going to give you good things. And for us, good things is no pain, no difficulty, and a good life. And you're going, wait a second, you have this passage in Romans 8 that makes very clear that 
God works thing, all things together for good, and it's in the middle of a passage where it's talking about persecution and famine and swords and all these things and difficulties that are going to be in this life, and you could go, well, that can't be in the will of God, that can't be good, and it's saying this, no, God is doing good. May not be specifically for your good, but he is bringing about good out of it. And so for us, understand when you come to God, be confident that you're going to get the best answer. You're not just going to get God going, okay, get out of here, go away. I don't want to, you know, like the neighbor at midnight. But he's going to say, here, I'm going to give you the good thing. And I'm not out to harm you. I am out to help you. And so we need to be persistent, and that's the, the one lesson of this parable. Be persistent, keep knocking like that shameless, uh, shameless host, and then be also on the other side, be confident that God will give you good things. Amen. And so that's what, what you have from this teaching here. And I, I was thinking about this even in the light of tonight. You got the sheet. Some of the things change, some of them don't. You say, should we keep praying for them? I mean, you already got your answer. Yeah, we should. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. Um, and are you confident that God will work out the good that he needs to on this? Yes. Does that mean I don't have to pray anymore? No, you still keep praying. Be persistent. Uh, and keep knocking, keep seeking, and look for the Lord to answer. So anything on that? We had, we had a good discussion this morning, but any thoughts on this or questions on this? Yes. Seven occasions. Seven occasions, yep. So there's seven occasions that you can find that he's praying. Not teaching on prayer, but he's just doing it. So. Are those each individual, or is it sometimes the same thing from Mark? Well, it, it, it could be, but in, in Luke's account, he's got seven different occasions where he's got lined up the Lord praying just showing us that he's doing. He goes out early in the morning or he goes up in the mountain to pray. I mean, there, there are these type of activities um, going on, so. Yes? Yeah, it's this time, is the only time that you see the, this, this. No. Different word. Different Greek word, yeah a different word. Um, there it's not so much the importunity of the woman. I'm trying to remember the exact wording in that one. Um, it's Luke 18. Let me just look at the wording. He says this, yet because this widow troubleth me, So basically that's the word that's used about it is that she just keeps troubling him. She's bothering him. That would be the term that we would use today. You know, Keeps bothering me, pestering me uh, on that. So 